So first things first, uh, the, the the book club week one is just hit the podcast. We just released it about 30 minutes ago. We published it to um, iTunes and YouTube, I think. <coughs> so if you haven't subscribed or checked out our YouTube channel, um, you should check it out. And you can listen to the first episode. Also, you can share it with friends. This is obviously something we want to like interact with you guys, everyone who's been like super committed to this. But um, yeah, but we want to also make it available to other people and kind of join in and create more content. And so if you guys have any questions about today's uh, today's book club, just ask in the chat. And me and Austin, Austin's across the table from me, and we're going to kind of be reading your comments and everything. Um, so check them out. Uh, we'll be checking them out. But um, if you have questions, we'll try to get you guys to chime in and, and have like a little bit of time at the end to kind of just ask questions and kind of dive in. But I want to dive into chapter six, which I understand is maybe a little frustrating for people who are highly structured and love rules and believe that chapter two comes after chapter one. But let me tell you, it doesn't. Chapter six comes after chapter one. And dad, part of this came from like your message on Sunday, because I, one, I just want to say thank you. Like the, the message, uh, was really incredible. I was really inspired. Um, but but also this chapter is one of my favorites, and I think you write maybe one of the most r- romantic lines that you've ever written, and about mom, which I thought was really beautiful. And on page one forty two, you you say you say you talk about like studying in seminary, how you met mom, and that she was like supported financially by a couple in North Carolina, and that when mm-hmm. she decided to marry you, which, which you're um, which I always find it odd because like now living in LA where there's it's so diverse you're very light-skinned but yeah. in North Carolina in that little town of North Carolina you're like the darkest you're the darkest human they had seen until you brought your best friend who was really dark and mm-hmm. then I thought they were gonna light they probably thought they were gonna like literally light on fire and you write this line so much would have been lost to us both if we had listened and it may not seem romantic to anyone else, but to me that seems so romantic because the thing that they would have lost was me. They would have not had me as their child or Mariah or Mosaic or the books that you've written and the life that we, we've encountered. And, and for me, it felt like making a good decision and maybe the right decision for both of you. You know, How long have you guys been married for now? 38 years. 30, 38 years? Yeah. Is it Crazy. just so hard to be married as someone who doesn't is single? No, I, I, um, I think all good things are hard. That's, so that's a good. beautiful it's, quote, but is it hard? Yeah, of course it's hard, but it's good. So how in your, okay. So can I ask you just a personal, I wasn't going to ask this. I was going to go somewhere else, but like you, the whole, the whole chapter is about doing the, 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 instead of doing the right thing, doing the good thing, making sure that you're mm-hmm. doing both the right and the good thing, but not getting too focused on the right thing focusing more on the good thing and spending your life actually building good things versus just building the right thing. And mm-hmm. I like, I, I think the chapter kind of goes in a, a couple of different ways and I'm kind of, kind of pop around. I wanted to start on that quote because when you say so much would have been lost bet- to us both, if we'd listened, do you feel that so many people overcomp? you talk about this a little bit in the chapter, but do you feel like so many people overcomplicate the most simple things in their life, AKA just dating someone like you and mom are so so different. I like knowing you guys now. Na- I mean, I've known you. You've been my best friends for thirty years, you know. Mm-hmm. And but why? You know, you're my you were my roommates. 
<laughs> I, that's what I call my mom. But yeah, I, yeah. but I, what? No, he no, just never paid no, no. rent. <laughs> Stop that! Stop. This is my book club. Austin, right. mute him. Austin, kick him. No, I, I think this though is, is the, the, this kind of pull between doing right and doing good. You know, like, can you open up a little bit about that? Because I think now, like, I grew up in such a diverse world, right? Like, I was one of the few kids that, with light skin in my schools. I was, I was, even growing up in Mosaic, I was one of the, the few young kids that actually, you know, English was their first language. And it wasn't until much later where Mosaic became kind of what it is now in Hollywood and in, you know, Seattle and Mexico City where things became much more modern right where the world was still very so much segregated even more so when you were growing up than 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 i than when i was growing up but also like you were growing up in a different culture you were very much a part of like you know the southern the southern baptist like it was a bit more um you know you talk about how uh a italian couple was told that at one point they couldn't have a father-daughter dance at their wedding yeah dancing was a sin can you talk a bit about how, how and what it looked like choosing to do both the good and the right thing in that moment, even though it was seen as the wrong thing for so many other people. Well, I mean, it is interesting how one of the bizarre things about human behavior is that most of the time, unless a person is a sociopath or something like that, people think they're doing the right thing, okay. even when they're clearly doing the wrong thing. Like you just, and you, you even change your language of doing the right thing for me, which means I'm probably doing the wrong thing for everyone else. And uh, doing the right thing for me may, may mean I'm doing really something really horrible, clearly to other people. And but most of the time, and I think that's where, if you look at like great film and great television, great story, you know, telling and writing, right. the best stories are when the bad guy feels right. You know, terrible stories are when you just have this bad guy who just wants to do evil because he's just evil. And, you know, and, and the, the, the most disturbing stories are when the bad guy, you can actually understand why he's making the decisions he's making. And, you're, and there's a little part of you inside going, wow, like, would I make a decision that way if I saw the world that way? And I think there's something incredibly uh, deceptive and um, even dangerous about, quote, always doing the right thing. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be too, no, I'm going to be really dark. I actually think like that um, when people strap like bombs around their bodies and become living um, suicide bo bombers, they actually think they're doing the right thing. Like they, they actually think they're pleasing God. They think they're, you know, doing something holy. And um, because they've created a, a narrative of rightness, but if you stop and examine, ask yourself, am I doing the good thing? Like you could never justify killing a hundred innocent people as a good thing. And, and, I, and I think that that to me is like a really telling kind of maybe stark example. And I know the people who were racist who told Kim that if she married me, they would disown her and they stopped financing her, her, college, her master's scholarship. They really believed they were doing the right thing. I don't think it ever crossed your mind about doing the good thing. And, you know, and I think throughout, you know, my life, that's been sort of like the moral compass of my life. And, you know, ideally it's, it's when the right and the good are in concert with each other, right? You're doing the right thing because it is the good thing. 
and you're doing the good thing uh, and because that it is the right thing. Um, but I, I think you have to be careful not to trust, just be self-righteous. And, um, you, you know, I mean, just another example would be like when in, in a religion, when it says, well, you know, you shouldn't be tempted or you shouldn't tempt people. So women have to wear coverings over the whole body and only have their eyes exposed uh, because of the danger of making, of tempting someone else. And I'm going, does that make you a moral person? And if what you're actually saying is, given any opportunity, I would be immoral or, or I, I would cause someone else to sin. And rather than saying, no, there is a higher righteousness here, I can actually be uh, a good person who makes good decisions and makes the world a better place. That is kind of the core of the conversation that you're having in this in this chapter. It feels that like you, you really do, you don't start here. You, you, you talk more about kind of what you talked about on Sunday. Was it situ- situational ethics? But really you kind of get to a place where you start incorporating um, how we were created in humankind, where we always created that every, you talk about God's will and how we treat God's will like we're walking on a high wire. Yeah. Like anything we can possibly do, we will blow over and fall over and that we will fall from God's grace. But you're saying it's actually the other way that like God gives us a really clear path. Like I love that you kind of invert the metaphor of Adam and, Adam and Eve going literally every tree that they could have possibly eaten from was good. Yep. It was just two out of what, you know, out of all of them. It was just and, one that they couldn't eat from. Right, right, they, right. they could eat from the tree of life all they wanted. They just couldn't right. eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And yeah. What is it about us that makes us so afraid to do the wrong thing? Because is it that we believe that we were created in God's image but without goodness? But you kind of say the opposite. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the reasons is that we've been told all of our lives that God is going to punish us for every wrong thing we do and that you know we're just living our lives under constant fear of judgment and condemnation and guilt and shame. And, and since we all mess up, we all get that confirmed in our consciousness. You know, you're right. I have messed up. You're right. You know, uh, I have sinned. You're right. I'm a bad person. Right. right. You know, and so yeah. our own human experience confirms that in us rather than saying, hey, look, the reality is that the way God designed things is that there was one bad choice and every other choice is a good choice. Don't let someone flip it on you and tell you there's only one good choice and everything else in your life is a bad choice. And because otherwise it's just about being a puppet. You got to figure out exactly what God wants you to do. And, and, and that's the right thing rather than love God and, um, and live a life you love. Like it's like when you love God, you can actually trust your passions. You can trust your desires and you can trust your heart, which is kind of exciting. I would say this, that I think it's a hard reality to accept that we were, I I think, okay, it's easy for me to accept that God created us in goodness, but hard for me to accept that we are still good when we're left to our own devices, right? When we're left to our own choices, when we're left to our own journey, that we will innately do bad. And maybe it's just the moments where in which I've made mistakes in my life, or Maybe it's the pressure of feeling that I need to live a certain lifestyle in order to be seen as good, but it, it kind of breaks down this idea of like, what is good, right? Because no, I, well, I think that here's what you need to figure out. When Jesus comes into your life and changes you, what actually, what, what exactly is that change? 
See, I, 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 when, I, when I read the Bible, it says that you're a new creation. So when Jesus recreates you, he recreates you for the good. And so now it's like it's retraining your mind and your body to actually respond to the good rather than to the destructive. And right. so, yeah, you, you can, you know, you can train your body to be really self-destructive. I mean, you know, you, you can have an addictive relationship to anything. It can be to uh, alcohol or, or it could be, you know, uh, whatever, nicotine. It could, you know, you, you can have addictive behavior to, um, to aggression or, um, or to work, you know, to work, whatever. And, uh, yeah. and you know, so what you have to realize is that your body has to be retrained, you, you know? And so if you train your body to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning, it will wake up at seven in the morning. And, and then if you decide, oh no, for me to live an optimal life, I need to wake up at six 30 at first, it'll be hard. Your body will say no. And, uh, but you can, but it's not because your body is inclined towards seven. It's because you trained it for seven. And, right. and so if, if, you, if you're constantly making choices that are self-destructive and they're hurtful to other people, it's because you've trained your soul to do that. And in the, even though Jesus has changed you, you still have to go through the process of retraining. It's kind of hard, though. <laughs> it is hard. It's called discipline. That's how well, we call disciples. <laughs> okay, yeah. But discipline comes with, right, like this being disciplined the act of being disciplined having discipline is you know you have discipline by being disciplined and you and you become disciplined by doing the the hard thing again and again and again and to a point where it it, it doesn't actually become hard anymore it, maybe it still is a level of of difficulty but you 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 have trained your kind of your being to to like almost auto correct itself to become something new so when we say we're a new creation i think one of the things that was hard for me when i was shifting into a relationship with Jesus in my life was that I there was a spiritual change and a spiritual shift and a mental shift but character hadn't shifted yet mm -hmm. and so so much of me was still left in an old life but I knew like how I wasn't kind I was not the kindest person I what no I was waiting for you to agree because you usually like to jump on that one <laughs> no no, you're good. Okay, but but with that, you talk about how you quote it, talking about how in Matthew he refers that Jesus refers back to how its kindness is more important than rightness, and you kind of sum summarizes it a bit, right? It's like it's Matthew nine where it talks about desiring mercy, not sacrifice, right? Yeah, so someone's quoting something I said earlier, which is exactly right to this. It doesn't get easier; you get stronger. That sometimes I don't feel like I get stronger. <laughs> well, that's because it takes time. A character it really is more like a sculpture. Sculpture, you have to cut it. You have to like bang away at it. And it takes time for that character to be crafted inside of your life. You know? Yeah. And, right. And, and, you know, when you talk about maybe not being so kind early on in your journey in your in young adulthood, I think it goes back to the adage that hurt people hurt people. So you've been really hurt. And you've been really hurt in the church. And you've been hurt by people you trusted. And you were hurt by people that should have been trustworthy. And, and so your response was to try to make sure you never got hurt again by being the first one to strike. It, it, you know? And so you, right. you, can't, you developed a mindset that the world was going to punch you. So you thought, I'm going to punch first to make sure that I don't just get hurt all the time. So it's a little bit off topic, but yeah, I would yeah. agree. I, was, yeah. I, I think I was like passively or aggressively aggressive because I always wanted to make sure that I was protected. And I think it, it amplified when I came back to Los Angeles and started working with you because I always felt like I always felt like you were always being taken advantage of, but I didn't realize that 
you kind of had reached a place in your, your faith, your relationship with Jesus. You saw the genius in kindness. You saw the yeah. genius in doing good, even when people, other people chose to do what was good for them or right for them at your sacrifice of your goodness. You always decided to be good and go, okay, you know what? I can let this go because I know that God is always bringing goodness back into my life. Right. And if you let the worst behavior of other people shape you into the worst behavior of yourself, they've actually won. You've become like them. And, and so the best way to defeat evil is with good. The best way to de- defeat hate really is with love. And the, the best way to, you know, to defeat like the, the meanness and hardness of the world is genuinely to be kind and to live a life of compassion. Can I dive a little bit into some comments? Sure, of course. Uh, there's also more. Oh, I, one thing I do love about that verse, because it's Matthew 9 that you're talking about, yeah? I'm not sure. Okay, I think it was. Uh, but like further down, it talks about how it says, but go and learn. What does it say? It says there in Matthew nine thirteen. but go and learn uh, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice for I have not come mm-hmm. to call the righteous, but sinners. But I, I just love this next line. And I've always loved it. And I've always thought it was really funny, but also like actually how kind of backhanded humorous the Bible is like, mm-hmm. there's so much backhanded humor, especially with like, especially in Matthew, especially in Paul, when he says, why is it that we and the Pharisees fast so often, but your disciples do not fast? Like, aka, why are we always hungry and you're never hungry? <laughs> like, why are we always exhausted and you're... O- and, and it's an interesting thing because you talk about in the chapter, right? Like, when you get into the place where you're doing good in your life, you actually start having more fun. When you're more That's worried so about true. achieving, not achieving, but just doing good, being good helping people do good and doing good with other people, you actually find the enjoyment in life versus always worrying about the legalism and the the righteous thing to do or the right thing to do. I think it could become, we can become addicted to the right versus um, like patrons of the good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's really good. What do you say? What, you said you were going to uh, highlight some of the questions. Okay, here we go. We're getting into it. How do you break the cycle of wrong choices? And what do you do when your habits are causing you not to not live the life you know you should be from Brianna? I think two sides from that. Just realize that you don't break the cycle of wrong choices um, with a lot of choices. You, may, you break the cycle with just one choice at a time. Yeah. And uh, like um, two days ago, I, t- I gave myself a 30-day challenge to do three minutes of planks for um, every day for 30 days. Well, that How's lasted it? one day. And oh no! So, so the second day I failed, and so today I told myself, "Okay, um, today's day one." And uh, and so I, I looked at it in two ways. I, I've got two out of three days, and which is really great. Or today, I'm 100% if today's day one. And so instead of quitting on the day I didn't do what I wanted to do, and letting that define me, I just went ahead and started over again. So sometimes to realize to change your behavior to establish better habits to create a better you you just have to give yourself room to fail and then just get back up and and do it again and do it again and um and not let what you don't want to be end up becoming your norm in your life and yeah. so just one one good choice at a time and what was the second half of her question what do you do when your habits are causing you to not live the life you know you should be like how do you essentially how do you break it and keep it broken yeah, one thing you have to, uh, I think, be really honest about is you have to look at 
what are the environments in which I make these terrible choices? And, you know, I had a friend who struggled with alcohol and, uh, um, and he told me that he would literally wait for his wife and kids to leave so that he could start drinking. And so he knew the moment he was alone in his place by himself, he would start drinking. And so you need to look at what, what's the environment in which I make these bad decisions? Or uh, is it when I'm alone? Is it after 11 o'clock at night when I'm out? You know, is it um, when I'm lonely or bored? Is it when I'm, you know, sometimes overeating happens because you don't eat well. And so you get too hungry and then you just start eating whatever's there because you're so hungry. So you have to look at yourself and go, how do I make sure I don't get myself into the environment where I'm making my worst decisions? And how do I begin to build environments where I make my best decisions? Okay, another question. This is from Heather, and this is very raw, and this is reminds me of my mother at times, and also not so much. But I was sold salvation in Sunday school three decades ago as fire insurance. <laughs> so messed up. You don't want to burn in hell, do you? Oh my gosh, I did not realize that that's what I said. That's so you need to take Jesus into your heart and to follow up after that. I get the evangelism aspect, but as a parent. I want to sell the whole perspective to my children, not the fear-based allegiance. That's not relational. Okay, so can I rephrase this a little bit? That's an interesting thing. So can I yeah. ask a question it's, about it's it? Not, it's, it's not a question. That's a statement. That's a statement. Oh, no, yeah. but uh, okay. So maybe this would be the question: Is how how did you? How, okay, I can answer this, I guess, because I the question would be like, how did you get me to love Jesus? And I don't really think you 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 definitely didn't convince me. Um, by any form of manipulation, right? I'm glad. Mm -hmm. And by, and by no means were you ever you or mom ever telling me I was going to go to hell. Maybe mom a few times, like in your twenties. My twenties. You're on the verge, kid. <laughs> she did tell me I was going to hell a few times. A few times. But yeah, I I will ask this. Like, well, I'll say this. You know, when I was younger, you you I remember telling you that I wasn't sure like if I believed in mm -hmm. God or I wasn't sure if I believed in Jesus and so you were like well what do you want to study and I'm not entirely sure exactly how it happened because I was young so my perspective would be very mm -hmm. different I'm sure than yours but I, I remember whenever we would travel you kind of would if we were in Japan you would cause you traveled a lot over internationally mm -hmm. speaking and you would take me to like the Shinto temple and you would have me mm -hmm. like study and kind of understand the religion mm -hmm. and you would ask me questions and you kind of always would be engaging me in kind of a faith conversation of of not offering this as a religion that I could believe in, but going like, hey, I want you to understand like this is what they mm -hmm. believe and does this resonate with you or, or not, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you sent me to like a day camp one time at Scientology. That was definitely <laughs> a, a, one of the weirder things. And this was like before we knew all the things that we knew they were weird, but we didn't know how weird. And and I, I, I knew they were weird. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I was so young. And you yeah. were like, what did you think, buddy? And I was like, there was a lot of science fiction. I'm very confused. Yeah, um, no, I, I took you to the Buddhist temple. I, um, I, I tried to expose you to every world religion and belief system. Um, I, I think the, the, to me, the, the real answer to that question is you don't try to terrify your children to heaven and you don't try to manipulate them. You try to love your children with every fiber of your being, because if you actually love your children, then they will see God. And because love is really the clearest um, 
window to the soul of, of God. And if you know, if you're preaching heaven and hell and not loving your children, they're going to hate God. And uh, if you're if you're really bad at doctrine, <laughs> but you love your kids, they're going to be really open to God. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question for you. You wrote in the book, this is from Cassie, you wrote in the book that we may find ourselves in conflict with those who are certain they are right. How do we love them and support them without their need for the right to consume us? Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends who are just so sure they're right. And um, and some of them, if I'm talking to them, it'll definitely be 99-1. Like they talk 99% of the time, I talk 1% of the time. Right. And, um, and one thing I've kind of like given myself permission I don't try to force my opinion on people who do not want it. And, and so if someone just wants to talk the whole time and they don't really want to hear my perspective or my position, I don't feel obligated to try to give them my position. And, and, some, and, and look, it could be at anything. I have friends who are on both sides of the vaccine thing and the both sides of the COVID thing, both sides of you know the quarantine stuff, every side of the political spectrum. I have some friends who actually are interested in my perspective. They really want to hear like my what my viewpoint is or are looking for me to help them um, put together their own view. And I have and I give a lot of input there. I have other friends. Uh, I'm just a sounding board for their genius. <laughs> you know, And I feel completely free to not try to convert them or convince them of anything. And I think that's that's the healthier posture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to I, win. I, I had yeah. Well, you tend to just win naturally, which is what I don't understand about you. <laughs> like I've been losing to you for thirty-three years <laughs> in everything. <clears throat> okay, so one thing, one thing I I love that you break down is kind of this conversation with the Pharisees and the Sabbath and doing good versus doing right. And you ask this question. Or he says, you, you quote Jesus asking this question, uh, Jesus stated the obvious, how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? Why is it in, is it in our human nature? Is it conditioned? Is it something that's societal or cultural? Why is it that we oftentimes will choose doing the right thing over doing the human thing, which I think the human thing, I think humans are created in goodness and we make bad decisions and we make good decisions, but I don't think that we are in our core bad right i i believe that so how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep you're you're giving this thing like why what what is it that we get so caught up in doing the right versus being human doing the good um one i think that uh being right um makes us feel superior right and um but being good has no limitation like you can be good and i can be good and we can be doing different good and there's no comparison. There's only celebration. Okay. And and I give you an example of, of like good and right kind of like fighting against each other. I, I remember years ago we had this really brilliant uh, fashion model who was coming to Mosaic, and the only thing she cared about was sex trafficking, which is really important. And so I could never say that what she was doing wasn't good, but she was angry with me and our leadership because they wanted Mosaic to be 100% completely focused on ending sex trafficking. And, and I kept saying, look, this is an important issue and you should lead this and herald this, but Mosaic is not about one issue. And if we're about one issue, it's Jesus. 
And, uh, and out of that comes all these other issues. And so they end up leaving and they, became a, they started a little church that everyone who went was committed to ending sex trafficking. Sex trafficking. Now, I'm so glad that they're focused on that, but they felt like if you weren't doing the good they were doing, you were wrong and you were not doing, you were not right. And, uh, and so one of the great challenges sometimes is to not confuse doing good with being right. Like it, it, you, can, you can choose a good that you're doing in the world and you need to realize that that may, may, not, not, may not be the good someone else is supposed to be doing in the world. There may be a different good that they need to be doing. So it's not, it's not only important to, to do what is good but not okay. So in like this example, like you would say that the yeah. woman was being, she's awesome. I know exactly who you're talking about. She's yeah. a great person, big heart. But it, it, she definitely was. She was almost like. So it self righteous. Self self righteous. Like doing. Yeah. If you were not doing her good, you were not right. That's right. Yeah, and and, uh, and that's like and a I, good example of when the good turns into the right. And how do you? Yes. That's a perfect how, example of that. How do you avoid it? So how do you how do you stay passionate without becoming whether it's um, tyrannical with your goodness? <laughs> yeah, I think that you know you're on a healthy path when you can celebrate the good that other people are doing, even if it's not the good that you're doing. Yeah, I do love when you say this. Um, well, I want to. I'm going to go back to page 43, but I do love when you say this. Do the good that is right in front of you. It may see, seem sp simple, but really it's a stroke of genius. And you close out the chapter with, you were not designed to be good at everything, which I think is such an interesting connection play on words. But when you discover what you're good at and begin to give your life completely for that good, it begins to look a lot like genius. Yeah, no, I think that's encouraging. I hope it's encouraging to everyone who reads it uh, because there's good that you're created to do. And, uh, and it doesn't need to be compared. You, you just don't compare good against good. That's the beautiful thing about it. Well, that's, I feel like that's, in, <laughs> that's all that we do in life as humans. Well, this person's better at this. Oh, well, we got to do this because this person's better at this. Yeah, it's the LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT? Who's and, the GOAT? Uh, Who's the good? Of, yeah, instead of arguing, you know, the thing is like you can argue for about who the GOAT is rather than celebrate the greatness right in front of you with each one of these players. And, 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 you know, when you compare, you know, Michael Jordan to LeBron James, I'm going, Michael's not playing anymore. So why, why keep him in the conversation? Uh, maybe right now, just talk about who is brilliant on the court right now. And, you know, and, and, and so I, I just look at it and go, uh, that, that's why people compare churches and go, well, you know, do you like this church or that church or this church is this and this church is that? And I'm like, why can't different churches just be good by their different expressions? And in fact, people used to ask me all the time, if there's only one God, then why are there so many different denominations and so many different churches and so many different expressions of Christianity? And I go, because God created different colors and different aromas and different flavors. God does not like monotony. I think it's awesome that churches are different. I think it would be so sad if every church was exactly the same singing the same exact music, doing everything the same exact way. Do you find there, there have been times? Okay, so uh, I'm going to, I have a question now. 
Uh, anybody yeah. else have questions? I, as we wrap up, I want to wrap. We're going to keep this one shorter today because I'm just grateful you showed up, and I want to keep you guys coming back. And <laughs> don't exhaust you guys. Um, and Thomas looks like he's kicking back right now in his chair. So, I, no, I'm not <laughs> hating on you. I'm, 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 I'm loving it. We're in the same place. Mike Z, your background is blurry. That's so smart. We need to get that for my dad. Also, I just love seeing people's faces. Okay. Hi, Pastor Irwin from Lauren Rodriguez. Curious to know how you arrived at the specific strokes, thus chapters of genius of Jesus's genius that made it into the book. And in regards to craft, are there any specific writers who have influenced your voice as a writer? Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's a, those are two really great questions, and I wish I had more thoughtful answers, but I'll give you the best ones I have. Um, there's so many things about genius that I could have kept writing about. And, um, you know, because there's obvious things like, you know, geniuses seem to have an incessant uh, curiosity or insatiable curiosity. And, um, but I didn't put that in there because it wasn't an outcome. And it was, it wasn't, I, I tried to identify the places where Jesus changed the way humans were supposed to interact with each other, the, the six strokes of genius that made us most human. And, um, you know, maybe in 10 years, I'll look at it and go, oh, I wish I'd added this and this and this. But um, just work playing out the book, it's almost like, you know, if you're painting the Mona Lisa, maybe you could have added more brown or maybe you could have added more yellow or maybe you should have used blues. And, but you didn't. It, uh, the art is not just about what you put on the canvas, it's what you don't put. And so I felt like it was the most elegant um, and, um, and simple, not simplistic, but like, you know, to, to try to create some kind of elegant simplicity of the strokes of Jesus to begin a conversation. Um, so it took a lot of work to do that. It took a lot of work to narrow it down to six, believe me. And, um, and then um, writers, I mean, I mean, honestly, um, no writer influenced me more than Robert Heinlein. Uh, you know, he's, he's the most influential writer in my life uh, because from the age of like eight, I pretty much read every book he ever wrote. Um, uh, Isaac Asinoff was a huge, huge influence in my life. Um, Ray Bradbury, uh, Andre Norton, um, Tolkien, Lewis uh, became influences in, um, in my life. And then poets became super influential in my, in my life. I, I really fell in love with poetry. Um, I, um, all, all, Socrates didn't write anything, but Plato wrote all of Socrates' material. And, um, and so I would say that Plato and Aristotle, it, Socrates through them had massive influence on my thinking and my writing. Um, yeah, I, those are the ones that, you know, I think that influenced me the most. Second, uh, Maron, I could be saying that wrong. Ask this. I understand the journey oh, to G and Paulo Coelho. Paulo Coelho. Okay. Yeah. I love that. You still need to, you still need to have that conversation. I know. But I know. I'm just remembering now. I understand the journey to genius can be found in diverse routes, but does genius have a singular landing point? And I'm gonna add. How do you define genius? Like, is that landing point being the greatest of all time or being 
the most intelligent and the leading in your field but it always feels like Einstein was obviously a genius but there has been so many since that have contributed to his science and to science and as a whole into physics into you know all like Stephen Hawking's it doesn't it Stephen Hawking's existence doesn't destroy Albert Einstein's genius so how do you determine that landing point I don't know if genius has a landing point. It may have a black hole, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think that genius usually is an unexpected iteration of human capacity, um, you know, where no one expected, no, no one thought what Mozart composed was possible. Like, no, no one, no one, no one imagined how Picasso would change the world of art or Monet um, or Raphael or Michelangelo. Um, and, and so there's some aspect of genius that seems to make the impossible possible, you know, and, um, and you know, you've been affected by genius because reality, uh, shifts, you never see reality the same again. And that's why like someone can have genius when it comes to a, a domain like music or art or math or science, or some can have genius in, in, um, in an expression like chess or basketball or baseball or football, um, or someone can have genius in the expression of ideas, uh, you know, whether it's uh, a Nietzsche or, or a Kant or a Thoreau. And, um, and there are, the ideas change the way we think about life. And so, you know, that those to me are some of the commonalities of genius. And, and yeah, so I don't know if they have a landing place in that sense i think that that genius seems to start a new chapter in the human story interesting i love that so you would say that to genius would require what something not just greatness but also uniqueness yeah there is a it's perspective i i the word i just keeps coming back in my mind is that genius is usually about perspective they just see reality differently. They see the world differently. They see their domain differently in a way that no one had ever seen it before. Okay, there are so many like comments and questions now, but Austin, can you screenshot these so we can address these maybe in the beginning of our podcast on Friday? We'll By the way, this is a really week. fun conversation. Do you enjoy this, Dad? This is a really good conversation. I think this one actually is going places that are fascinating. I know. I'm I'm just mad that we're at the 47 minutes. Okay. We'll see and if you can that, find one or two last questions. And okay. then we can bid everybody adieu. Let's do this. Have, okay, one. Cassie asked this, but I but this is I'm gonna answer and I'm gonna solve this one. Have you ever listed anywhere top ten books you recommend that people read? I'm obsessed with reading and growing as a reader. I actually think that would be a really fun podcast topic for us to do. Austin, can you screenshot that one for me? Cause that I think it'd be really fun to talk your top ten would be weird. <laughs> Cause you like during COVID you had us read like a social economic book on Oh yeah. What was it on on finance in in Latin American countries and why certain countries succeed and why certain countries don't and by, by Lawrence was, Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. dying of I could I was like it was crazy because everyone was so afraid of COVID in LA, which I understand. It was like there was a uh, there were a lot of people sick. 
but there was nowhere to read it. And if I read it in my home, I would fall asleep because it was so dense. This book was 150 pages. It was tiny, but it was so incredibly dense. So I'd have to go and sit like on the floor outside my coffee shop on the cement and read because I was, it was me and Carlos would meet up and read about it during COVID. But I think there are some incredible books that we should add to that top 10 that, and have you, I want you to make the top 10 and then I want to ask you why you like the top 10. Is that okay? All right, let's do it. Okay, if my Mary asked this, if my environment is making it difficult to find my genius, make right decisions, let's do good. Is it as simple as change your environment? Um, it's never simple, but it's one of the things that is important. Yeah, because if you change your environment, but you don't change your choices, your environment will turn back into the other environment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's just like when a person moves out of the city to start to get a fresh start, the problem is they're taking the old them with them. And uh, so if you're moving to a new city, make sure you take a new you with you. So if you're gonna right. change your environment, you gotta change your choices too. I mean, I think the, the this, I mean, there was a season of my life, I remember where I legitimately couldn't hang out with certain friends because of the, the, the situation they would put me in. And I know that a mm -hmm. huge, a huge helping I mean, a huge thing that changed my life was spending more, I mean, like this sounds cheesy, but it genuinely was like, I spent more time in church than I did in the places that where I was being self-destructive. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a lot of times like you had, you know, someone had me do the clothes at Mosaic this Sunday and I made a joke being like in LA and so many times in life, like you have two different versions of yourself, two different friends you hang out with in LA. I make a joke to everyone who comes here when they're young and go like, you'll find your nightlife friends and you'll find your daytime friends, your nighttime friends, your daytime friends. And when you, as you grow up and become more of an adult, you realize that most of your nighttime friends don't actually do daytime things. <laughs> they're not healthy people. They're not people you would actually yeah. call to like do a normal thing, like go to the grocery store or just do life with. And so making that adjustment and, and a part of it was me just going like, when you volunteer at church or when you get involved in something that's healthy, you talk about Habitat for Humanity, you talk about helping in your community, doing good. But a lot of it too is just like understanding that when, you know, like I talked to a lot of our young musicians at Mosaic who are just the coolest kids in the world and they think they're cool and they know they're cool. And I'm like, look, I know, understand that like playing a, you know, a really cool indie song in an indie venue and being cool is awesome but also like building an environment in which your friends that you meet in those spaces can actually come to mosaic and come to church and be a part of that environment. Like you need to, you are the bridge that bridges those two worlds. And mm -hmm. then Jesus is going to do such good things in those, in those moments. But, it, but I don't know what it is because I think sometimes we, we believe, I think we're, we're I know that I was reluctant to give up certain environments mm -hmm. and I knew I wanted yeah. to change, but I knew I was trapped in this kind of situational, um, relationships where I knew if I left, I would be lonely, you know? Yeah. So there is that stripping away of, of things. And I think it's almost spiritual, right? Yeah. And I think that's, I think you've tapped into something there that a lot of times we stay in our worst self because we're so afraid of being alone because we don't know if there, there will be people on the other side of our transformation who will be for us, will be there when we need them. Okay. Adam Moore, your question is amazing, but I'm going to wrap this up right now. And awesome, you get that. Okay, perfect. Also grab Sarah's as well. Um, okay, guys, I just want to say thank you for jumping on this. I know this is a, a quicker one than last week, but I just kind of, the goal has been to try to keep them under an hour, keep them kind of battle-ready length. Um, I don't know also, if this was quicker. You still win an hour. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's great. It's wonderful. 
I enjoy this. I think this is fun. Are you guys enjoying this conversation? I hope you guys are. And um, I hope that uh, I'll see you. Well, obviously, we'll see you next week. Um, is there a link we can sign up for this book club somewhere, or will you post a link weekly? No, no. Um, you signed up. You should be getting the emails. We'll be emailing again on Monday just as like a reminder. Um, this Monday, we didn't send one. Um, but we're sending one this next Monday and we'll just remind you to keep coming back. The link is in the bio on the Instagram. So this, the zoom link will be in there. You can just click on Aaron's book club and it'll come here. Um, you can invite whoever, but just encourage them to buy the book. Um, I think this is really special. I'm just grateful you guys are jumping in and I hope that we can kind of keep doing this as we go along. I want to at least do two more. And I think this is, this one is 10 X better than last week. As far as your guys questions. So thank you. Like, I, like I, I'm actually nervous that we have to answer all of these now. Um, but uh, we'll try and to maybe get to we'll throw a few of them to the Battle Royale podcast. Uh, we for sure are. I think there's some really good ones. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Uh, we put the last episode of this, of the book club, on on podcast. So just, you know, go to the pod, Battle Royale podcast, YouTube, Spotify, um, Apple, and you can check it out. You can send it to friends. And this one will be up. We'll probably go up next week, same time, Tuesday. Um, really grateful for all of you. This would not be possible without you guys. So um, thank you. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Good joining you. God bless. See bye you guys. guys. Bye, buddy. Love you. All right. Bye.